Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Sam there looking at the times when City goalkeepers... Oh, David, sorry, the doorbells just rang. One (laughs) sec, sorry. Was it your Nespresso pods by any chance? It was, yes. I don't know what the free gift is. Do you want to do a live unboxing? Oh, let's, let's find out. Right, okay. So the context being that um, they had an offer on to order your pods, which I needed anyway, and get a free gift. And I don't know what the free gift is going to be. I did say to David earlier that it would probably be a mug or some such. There is a lovely cardboard box here. Um, Inside the bigger cardboard box. Let's give that a quick open. That's a parcel, isn't it, now? Uh, I opened another cardboard box. Wrapped inside some kind of lovely paperwork, and it doesn't feel like a mug. What on earth is this? It's a lovely metal. Oh, out of almost zero use to me, it's a chocolate shaker. Um, for, oh, I see. Like a cappuccino. That's very kind of them. Maybe I'll start to use it. Um, just, just you don't have to use it on cappuccino. You could just shake chocolate onto other things. That, but directly into my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, Excellent. Let's crack on. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Oh, how a good start to the season can suddenly leave you in a bit of a grump. Back-to-back Premier League defeats for Manchester City for the first time in five years, and an international break to follow has left us all stewing on the rather unfortunate loss at the Emirates. Pep Guardiola's side may only be two points off the top of the table, but the fixture list when domestic action returns looks a little unsavoury. Still, that's a can we're going to kick down the road for another week anyway. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where we've had time to digest what happened at Arsenal last Sunday, so expect some level-headed and measured reaction hopefully. We'll find out shortly what this week's guests thought of that performance. Also on today's show, we're on a whistle-stop tour of some things that we don't often get time to discuss, thanks to that international break. There is a reason, however tenuous it may be, but we're going to be looking at goalkeepers who have found themselves outfield, and outfielders who have found themselves in goal. And with the UK and Ireland being awarded Euro 2028, we're going to take a look at the international matches played at the Etihad Stadium. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about Arsenal. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans in the shape of Sam Roscoe, Hello, mate. And Richard Burns. Hello there. Hello, hello. Um, Sam, welcome welcome to the show for the first time this season. Um, sorry again, I seem to have picked a week where, where City have lost. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the, in my contract, isn't it, with the podcast? I only come on <laughs> after defeats these days. Although, to be, we made this exact same joke last time and it was off the back of a good win, I recall. So, um, But no, nice to see that the ratio is positively in favour for the negative chat yep. uh, when it comes to City. So... That's that's what I'm all about. Exception that proves the rule. Last one, I think, was the uh, was the case. Richard, you anomaly. Well? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. You seem taken aback by the fact that I might ask you how you are. I was still trying to work out positively in favour of negative ratio, and um, 
yeah just thinking of like what the opposite of that is so i could make some kind of humorous intro and i can't i can't do it in my head well would so that not be got... negatively in favor of positive ratio well if you can you be negatively in favor oh that's a good question um, yeah see you can see, be positively which, which... against we're straight in with the tricky questions, aren't yeah, we? You can you can definitely be positively against, but can you be can you be negatively for? I don't know. Yeah, you must be able to. I don't know. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> <laughs> the upshot of all this is that I'm very well. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Uh, well, we've put it off no more. Let's talk about the Arsenal game um, for the 2023-24 season. The Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sports, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Manchester City fixture over the 23-24 season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sports have recently launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be a home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll also be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Arsenal then, Richard. Uh, I've seen people suggesting that uh, Guardiola was a little bit too cautious in uh, the way he approached this one. Obviously, no Rodri in uh, in the team wasn't available. And you can understand why Guardiola might look at that and go, you know what, I'm going to be quite cautious here. Um, do you agree that he was overly cautious, though? Uh, no, I don't think I do, because City, there's a context to it, isn't there, where despite having very good results against Arsenal, um, like, you know, over the last, is it, was it six seasons? Was it 12 victories, 12 league victories in a row Since against 2015 them? it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, so that's obviously a very good record, but it um, it doesn't tell the full story, does it? City were not fantastic at the Emirates last year. Um, on, well, they weren't overwhelmingly the better team, despite a 3-1 win. They didn't control they, the game, maybe. Yeah, and the year before, I mean, Arsenal were uh, were the better team in that game, I think, and City were fortunate to walk away with a 2-1 stoppage time win. And obviously, you take them all and make your own look, blah, blah, blah. But City were not the better team in that game. And I think taking a cautious approach reflects the respect that Pep has for Arsenal and the respect for that challenge and probably the acknowledgement that, um, I, just, I mean, this is going to sound daft like with the knowledge of the result, but probably reflects the acknowledgement that you can't keep going there and not being the better team and expect to come away with a positive result. And obviously it so happens that we came away with a negative result anyway. But I think you're sort of backfilling the narrative then to say that that was the wrong approach. I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And as I'm sure we'll touch on, it's a big slice of luck that means that um, that City have walked away with no points from that game. Yeah. Um, so I was, I'm quite, you know, I mean, obviously we'd all love to see swashbuckling attacking football against any and every opponent. But I think it's like one of the reasons City was so successful last season was because Peppers over time tailored his approach to, um, to suit the circumstances. And Sunday was just an example of that where the result doesn't quite work out, but I don't think the performance demonstrates that it was the wrong approach. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Sam, no Rodri is huge. We'll talk a bit about him a little bit later in the show. Um, you can kind of understand Guardiola just going, you know what, let's shut this game down at the moment. Because like, as Richard said, the number of times that Arsenal have just ran through City in the last few years, but City have been able to just deal with it and get the result. If you haven't got the main man there who deals with that sort of things, you can understand him being a bit cagey, can't you? Yeah, I suppose so. I don't think it was necessarily cagey. I actually think when you look at the the tactics and in particular that first 20 minutes, 
you can see what he was doing with the the lineup. So I've I've seen you know a lot of um, fans and a lot of friends that don't necessarily watch Manchester City week in week out or don't watch Bernardo Silva that often um, comment about why why on earth was he playing Bernardo Silva in a holding midfield role? Well, you know, yes, on paper when you've got Bernardo Silva in the middle of midfield, I suppose technically it is a holding midfielder's role, but he wasn't playing a holding midfielder's role. He was playing that sort of quarterback role of trying to dominate the tempo of the game, which is exactly what happened for City in that first half. It was clear that the tactics were dominate the ball, kill any sort of atmosphere that, you know, that was around the, um, the Emirates stadium and get, you know, get, get on the score sheet and they were close on a couple of occasions in that first 20 minutes but in terms of dominating the play dominating the tempo that's exactly what they did Arsenal just sort of stepped it up after that and and sort of broke down City's passing game and then that's where the game sort of went a little bit flat from a from a City perspective they never really got back into that um that momentum of, of keeping the ball and, and nullifying any sort of um, any crest of a wave that Arsenal had built up around the atmosphere, etc. Um, so that that was the, the first thing for me. Uh, you know, Bernardo Silva's role was very much to, yes, be in that middle, be um, industrial and, and recycle the ball as, as much as possible. He wasn't playing a holding midfielder's role yeah. in that sense that he's going to defend I- and, and, and sweep up, etc. Yeah, can I just ask you, Sam? Because I don't watch American football. What the hell does a quarterback do? <laughs> uh, they get the ball and they make all the plays. Right. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense because I like I've I've never watched it and I don't really understand it. So like, I've I've heard a few people say, "Oh, the quarterback role and apply it to football," and I'm just like, "Yeah, no, no, I just not along uh, sagely and like not really understand what's going on." They're the they're the main player in terms of offensive game so in in the sense that Bernardo Silva against Arsenal was in the middle of the pitch where a quarterback would be all the sort of play was building up through him was going through him etc right and that's where I I sort of you know um compare him to to a quarterback in the in American football in the sense that he was the, the main man on the pitch from an offensive position that was making sure the ball was uh, going to the right place etc yeah, who's your NFL team? Do you have one? Uh, I don't. I don't really have one. I have a few soft spots <laughs> for a few teams because uh, I've I've seen a couple of games at Wembley and I've followed a couple of teams there. But um, it's really interesting this year, actually. Uh, the, the a few o- teams that aren't performing as well as expected, mainly the the Bengals. Their centre back Joe Burrow, who was the hottest <laughs> property in NFL last season, really young player, just signed a big contract, isn't living up to expectations so far this season. But okay. uh, on the op- on the opposite side of things, Patrick Mahomes at the the Chiefs is killing it. So yeah, yeah. What, I, had, I, what I was, podcast am I on? I was I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is the limit of my NFL knowledge. Everybody, don't try and get me on a on an NFL podcast. That's about it. The the furthest mine goes is. Uh, I know that Mo covers his. It's I can't remember if it's uh, when he covers his mouth with the glass to say what his team is. I can't remember whether it's uh, the Atlanta Falcons or um, uh, the Denver Broncos. But there's certain, like Mo's certainly embarrassed about the team that he supports, and that's uh, that, that's all I know from the Simpsons. But there we go. Uh, let's let's let Richard. I'm not going to inflict any more NFL on you because I don't. I, I assume like me, you you watch football and nothing else. Um, Correct. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> let's let, let's carry on with uh, with the Arsenal chat. Um, Guardiola ultimately said he wanted more players in the middle of the pitch. Um, how 
It's a weird question given that that City have lost, but did you feel that City were much more in control of this game than they had been in previous years? And that was a positive. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, obviously, like, there were the early chances for City where, you know, there's a chance that falls to Aki very early in the game and, you know, the sort of last player, I think it was you who said actually in the uh, in our WhatsApp chat, David, that he's like the last player on the pitch that you probably want in that position. Anybody else, it's, it's probably a goal. So, someone suggested Diaz and I was like, actually, yeah, that's fair enough. Fair <laughs> point. Yeah, that's fair. But if I, um, you know, if that goes in, then obviously things feel very different, but as it didn't and um, as the game went on, yeah, I think it felt reasonably in control. I, I don't I didn't feel certainly early on like a major risk. Well, here's I, think... I mean here's here's the thing though. It's like like early on, like Sam said, City were kind of City were the more offensive uh, yeah. in, in the early stages. By the end of the game, less so. Um, and is it ultimately a case of if you know that you're going to have a tight game, if you know that you're going to make this a really tight game, when you have the chance to create a chance, you've got to create something. And City weren't really doing that. I think I think that's true, and I think is uh, I'm grateful for you saying that because I think it's a better way of wording what I was about to say anyway. That basically, as the game went on, the less I felt like City were going to score, and the more that then made me feel at risk because the more sort of Arsenal, although it wasn't like you know chance after chance or no like battering having, on any doors was there? No. Yeah, having to do like emergency defending, there was just like. This I just had this feeling of like, this is Arsenal's to grasp now. There isn't really the incentive for City to take any more risks than they are doing. They're away from home against a title rival. There is no reason for them to, you know, if they're not battering the door down now, then they're going to try and hold what they have. Whereas for Arsenal, there is every reason to, although, you know, I'm sure they would have, they wouldn't have been too disappointed with a draw at this stage in the season themselves. But that incentive of, being able to feel like they're making a statement. Even if a City fans, it probably doesn't feel like we're suddenly under any more pressure than we already were because we know that you can lose games early in the season and still recover that and blah, blah, blah. But for Arsenal, it is what you would see as a statement win. And so everything was there for them to keep pushing. Um, and I definitely felt the more it went on, even if it wasn't necessarily based on the game, just sometimes that sort of horrible gut feeling you get. I remember thinking like, we're really pushing into territory here where... Arsenal, if they create a chance and nick it, then we're not going to get this back. And that was more the feeling than like than ever worrying that it was out of control in any way. Yeah, Sam, can I ask you? Do you feel like it was um, a bit of a statement win for Arsenal? Because I, I, I would always counter that by saying both teams were very happy to to play out the draw, and Arsenal won it by smashing a ball into Nathan Ake's face. It's like you you have won it by fluke here. I think it turned into a statement win because the. The news agenda around the build-up of the game, obviously, City have dominated at uh, at, at Arsenal for, for so long. Um, obviously, Peter Drury uh, nodded to that. They cracked the City code, if you like, even though it was off Ake's face. It was a defect, yeah. deflected goal. But then that being said, look, I think um, the, the biggest statement from an Arsenal perspective in that game was Arteta made very positive changes he brought on the likes of Kai Havertz. He brought on Gabriel Martinelli. He went on to to have the impact that he did. He did look really, really good when he came on as well, Martinelli, and ultimately he did make that difference. So I think 
they can class it as a statement win because of the 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 record between the two teams going into it, the nature of the game in terms of first and second in in the Premier League last season, the way things are going, it's looking as though both sides are going to be challenging for the title again. And I think, yeah, they, they got one over on City. Did you did you get any sense from Arsenal though that you didn't already have? Do you know what I mean? Like 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 we know that City will be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. Did you get anything from Arsenal's performance that suggested that they'd grown from last season? Because ultimately, I mean, the, the reason I asked that is because my feeling at full time was I felt more threatened by Arsenal last season, and I like like it just felt like like they allowed City to control more of the game and then won it on a on a piece of good fortune. I think the opposite. For me, to be honest, I think um, the fact that this game was dull as dishwater, but Arsenal got something out of it. They got what they needed to get out of it. That's, I hate, hate how cliche it is, but if you want to be at the top of the title, you know, the top of the title race, you want to win the title race, you want to be top of the table come, come May, those, these are the moments and these are the games where you have to make things happen for you. And making those positive changes that Arteta did, the impact that Martinelli had on what was a dull game that was destined to be a draw at, um, you know, 80 minutes or whatever, then that's that was more of a, oh, actually, look, these are learning, these are growing up now, this Arsenal side, and they're not just going to, you know, be, be pushovers, if you like, and they are developing that winning mentality which look you know in their position that they're in at the minute we have to go back to the 2010 to to remember what it was like when we were almost there you know we were almost there weren't we in the in the Premier League title race we were almost there in the in the Champions League we were almost there in in the FA Cup etc and and it's these little moments that can really tweak a, a side's mentality yes it wasn't an amazing game doesn't matter all that matters at the end of the day is they got the three points they won the game 1-0 it was the worst game to watch but they you know those Arsenal fans in that stadium don't care they got mm. the win so for me the the sort of worry after the match is that we've seen Arsenal do what they needed to do. And in the past, I feel like that Arsenal would have settled for, for a draw, but they made the positive changes. They got what they needed to do at all costs. And that was win. That was get three points. And I'm sure if you listen to an Arsenal podcast and they're reviewing the game, they're not going to care about the the performance. It wasn't entertaining. It wasn't the blockbuster that we were all anticipating. The The biggest thing for them is that they got the three points at the end of the game. And they, they were the side that was celebrating after 90 minutes. Yeah. I think they had settled for the draw though and got lucky, but you know, that's just me. Um, Richard, there's the other side of uh, of this is um, I, I do want to talk about Kovacic slightly, um, but I, I kind of want to frame it in in the sense of did you get the impression early in the game that uh, the crowd was edgy and the stadium was really edgy because uh, David Raya had been put under pressure a couple of times with uh, certainly with Julian Alvarez, but maybe a couple of other players as well, and. I, I remember thinking at that time, City really need to capitalise on this. And then in making the challenge that Kovacic makes, suddenly everybody is united in the stadium in hating Kovacic instead of worrying about Raya. Do you know what I mean? That's a very interesting way to frame it because uh, I thought you were going to frame it as, uh, is he an idiot? <laughs> well, I mean, he's clearly an idiot. We don't need to go over that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, get moments like that, there's almost like a... 
as a football fan, sometimes, whether you acknowledge it or not, sometimes you want to feel like an injustice has gone against you. And because that's one of the things that, that gets an atmosphere up most, isn't it? Like if you think that somebody should have been sent off and they've not been, then it suddenly stops just being you against the opponent. And it's it's you against the world. And it's proper like, it, it really contributes to that siege mentality stuff. And like Pep, Pep has used that um, like more and more for City in recent years, in particular last season. Like how many times do you hear him say, um, so the lines of we did this all ourselves, nobody gave us anything. Yeah. And he'll always drop that line in as much as he might not uh, directly criticize referees very often. He will often say along the lines of nobody gave us anything. We know what, um, you know, we know what we've been given. We know what we've not had help, that kind of thing. And so it's very easy to imagine that um, that Arsenal would use a similar thing and whether that be the players or the atmosphere or whatever, like as a fan, if you see something that, I mean that, especially after a VAR review, how that first challenge is not a red card is absolutely beyond me. So it's, it's terrible refereeing. It's a stupid tackle. And then to go out so soon after and make another absolutely stupid challenge when already on a yellow card, I'd be, if I'm at the Etihad and something like that goes against City, I'd be absolutely fuming and that would be, I mean, that would almost get as much a reaction as a goal, obviously with very negative emotions, but you'd be losing it at the referee, wouldn't you? So, and and, and like you said, you'd have the, the opposition player to boo and to be annoyed at for the rest of the game. So yeah, I can absolutely see that that would sort of shift the atmosphere in uh, in the stadium and, and, and change it from, KG and and all that you know sort of everything that you alluded to to being a bit of a momentum shift and Arsenal I think utilised the crowd very well to be fair Arteta's always geeing them up and um, mm. it's a new thing with Arsenal he didn't really, need an excuse it? did he Arteta to... <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's always he's always on the edge isn't he he's always that was a frustrating that was a frustrating thing for me because. I mentioned earlier, it was clear that the game plan in the first 20 minutes was to nullify, you know, that atmosphere that that the fans at Arsenal can generate these days, to be fair to them. And then they do, they start to do that, but then Kovacic just gives them the biggest excuse to all get up out of their seats again, you know. If you if you could sit down with him, Sam, uh, at, at uh, full time in that game, put your arm around him and give him a little bit of a team talk, what would you say to him? Don't fucking do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wondered if you'd pick uh, a, a few more choice of words. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, uh, the first challenge, notwithstanding, because he could have he could have gone for that one. In the end, it's one of them. I actually think it's one of them where you know the referee gives a yellow card. Uh, the VAR is probably right not to overturn it, but if he gives a red card, the VAR is again probably not right to not right to. Um, uh, so VAR would probably not overturn it either. Um, it's one of them where, like, ultimately you can make a case for it being one or the other. So I'm not, I'm not that. Un- well, I mean, obviously as a City fan, I'm not that unhappy that he wasn't sent off. Uh, but like Richard said, Sam, like, why do you go diving into a challenge ten minutes later? Yeah, uh, I honestly don't know what the answer is. To be honest with you, I, I, I and imagine if City would have won the game, or or it would have been a draw. That's exactly what would have dominated 
for the the coming weeks and days that Kovacic should have been sent off because he should have been sent off. Absolutely. Mate, mate, there's there's already loads of people who already think there's a massive refereeing conspiracy in favour of City. It's like like <laughs> City have lost the last two games. Like what what are you trying to spin here? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, the referees have tried to help us out in some way, <laughs> but it's not 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 quite the case against Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, like the, and the Wolves one, the, the winning goal was scored by a man who also should have been sent off. So it's like, it's you know, maybe maybe use some bigger picture thinking here. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Obviously, Kovacic in the centre of the pitch uh, replacing uh, one of the players replacing the Rodri role. Um, Richard, it's three games without Rodri, uh, two of them meaningful, one of them a little less so because Rodri wouldn't have played in that anyway. Um, No wins, though. Are you you a bit concerned by that? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, is the short answer. I think we know how important Rodri is to City. He's, I think he's become like so sort of important in his position that it, it genuinely feels when he's at his absolute imperious best, it is truly like playing with an extra player. Like he seems to be in more places than one person should be. His reading of the game is extraordinary. His physicality, his ability to then get play moving again, the fact that, um, you know, when he's won the ball back, the way that he can get the team back on the front foot, the fact that he's becoming more reliable than most defensive midfielders are for a goal. Uh, like, that's a huge, huge thing to take out of the team, that that screening of the defence and, and, like I say, starting the play again as well. And to take that out of the team, you're not it's not reasonable to think that you could replace that with one player because that's what you get with the best players in the world in the same way that you can't replace, uh, maybe this isn't the best time to say this, but in general, you can't replace Haaland's goals with one player. You can't, you can't put an equivalent goal scorer in his position and expect the same return. And it's the same with Rodri. He's like, he's arguably the best midfielder in the world. I think he's definitely, the best central defensive midfielder in the world. And he is, I think, City's most important player because like, because of what he offers, because of the difference that he makes to the team. And so I think you can always like, you can break down anything and say, well, the Arsenal goal was deflected. They've sort of hit a long ball to start that move. Would it have been different if Rodri played? Maybe not. Would the Wolves goals have been scored if Rodri was playing? Maybe. and But we'll never know. And I think... If you is it like just on the as a straight up, do you think City would have lost three domestic games in a row if Rodri was playing them? 
I think it's quite hard to imagine that they would have done. Mm. Even you take the Newcastle game, and maybe he wouldn't have started anyway, because like you say, it's the, the least important game. Um, maybe the least important game we'll play all season. The um, the way the momentum shifted in the second half of that game, you think a player of Rodri's ability and experience would have a better go at wrestling some of that back than having Calvin Phillips there. Or... Um, while Kovacic and Nunez, are, for as good as they are, still getting used to playing for City, how could you reasonably expect them to do Rodri's job? Like, you just couldn't because that's what you get with the best players in the world. Other people can't do their job. So it worries me, but only in the sense of, like, you expect to drop off when you take your best players out. And it's it's annoying that it was his own stupidity that meant he was out for yeah, yeah. for those games. I was, I was going to say, Sam, if you could stick your arm around him and have that team talk at the end of the Forest game, <laughs> what would you say to him? <laughs> I'd say you just keep doing what you're doing because <laughs> you're mustard. No, in all seriousness, the the thing that has been evident to me in the in the, in the games where he has been absent, um, that it's obvious now we're we're missing his arrogance. He's that's that's what's been missing in those games. He knows how good he is. He knows that he's a game changer. Um, he knows that he is the best player on the pitch, and he knows that he can get. And that rubs off on the team around him. You know, the, the confidence that those players must have seeing that they've got Rodri alongside them to, to sweep things up and to recycle the ball and to be that third man running in, into the box is a huge miss. Richard made some really good points there on everything that he brings to City. But the one thing for me that he didn't mention that, that is absolutely key is that that confidence and that arrogance. Mm-hmm. I think that's 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 a reason why he probably got sent off as well against Wolves. Uh, sorry, um, against Forest because he probably fell into the trap that a, a player was having a go at him um, and was was getting in, stuck into him really when that's not something he's used to because of the 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 level that he's at at the minute. Let me let me throw you a little curveball uh, to a Rodriless City, Sam, uh, and suggest that actually maybe the problem isn't that there's nobody screening the defence and nobody holding the centre of, of midfield like he does, but actually that there's nobody higher up the pitch, like Gundogan, for instance, who can keep the ball in tight areas. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that's another one that has been pretty clear in the last sort of uh, few games that they've lost is that uh, he had a big impact, not just with his goals in key moments, but also, uh, you know, it sounds really, really stupid, but you can't lose a game if the ball's not in your half. Um, and like you say, was great at, at being available, being a constant sort of presence to uh, offload the ball uh, up up the field, if you like. Um, he held onto it really well and created as well. That, that's one thing that, Obviously, we talked about it in the Arsenal game, but they're all very similar, the defeats. They've not really created that much. They've struggled breaking sides down. And I think that's where we probably undersold Gundogan's importance in the City team in terms of that creative output and bringing other players into the game. So, yeah. Now, Richard, I'm going to give you an absolute hospital pass here. Uh, so, sorry about this. But um, in terms of a setup and creativity and control and knowing that Guardiola wanted to go to the Emirates and uh, and just dominate possession and maybe maybe keep it really tight, maybe not create too much and, and make sure that Arsenal don't create much, um, if that was the case and he knows that he's going to provide very, very little service for Haaland, is there a case for dropping him and playing a false nine instead when you haven't got Rodri? 
Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's a hospital Passover question in the sense that I think it's a really good question. And because the answer is obviously no, you can't drop Erling Haaland. That's yeah. that, that's the answer. Like, I think that's if you've got him, that's the only position that you can. Like, I think that's the only logical conclusion you can come to. For all the arguments that I think, yes, playing with a false nine, um, great in theory. Um, obviously, City have made that work extremely well uh, in in the past when they've barely had a recognised striker. But they have got Haaland, <laughs> and he does average somewhere around a goal a game. The but I if think you can't the, get the, if you can't get the ball to him though. Yeah, but I think it's always like the the game plan isn't for as much as the game plan might not be gung ho or super offensive. The game plan isn't specifically don't get the ball to Haaland, is it? The setup <laughs> might make it harder. It'd be wild if it was. <laughs> no, but you know, but but like that's relevant though, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Definitely, it's definitely it sounds like they're, they're not playing to not get him into the game. They're playing with the knowledge that he brings. Um, he brings a very certain skill set, which really is striking and scoring goals. And the rest of his game is um, very much still in development. And there are some really good examples. I mean, I, you know, I suppose, ironically, is it ironic? Um, I'll just use it. Ironically, <laughs> one of the best examples of his link-up play has been against Arsenal. Um, yeah, I don't think that's that, ironic. That, that, that home game last year. Um Mm, I'm struggling with the irony here. Yeah, it's probably not, but I've just thrown it out there now. Alanis Morissette made a career off doing that. I'm I'm fine with it. Um, Like, his game is still in development. And so, you know, like part of what you accept putting him in is we are not playing in a way today that is likely to create a whole lot of chances. But the flip side is that an on-form Haaland doesn't need many chances does he he doesn't need he doesn't need many touches like if the ball comes to him in the box one touch will often result in a goal and again he's not at the height of that at the moment he looks a bit of a um a a bit of a shell of himself really like he's he, he doesn't look confident he um I think he's carrying himself a little bit differently on the pitch but none of that changes the fact that he has the ability to score a goal with one touch However, the ball might fall to him in the box. So, and, and you know, those goals are gonna are gonna come back because he's he's just too good for them not to. Yeah. Um, and so, the, the the risk of taking him out is you deny yourself that opportunity to score early or score late, or you know. But however that comes, goals are the currency, aren't they? Goals are the currency of football, and he's the most likely to to bag you on. Um, yeah. His his exchange so, rate is really good. I don't know if that works. <laughs> Uh, ironically, it <laughs> it probably doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sam, the, the in- play him is the, is is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, Sam, the interesting thing about Harland is, as Richard said, um, like he's he's at a level with his ability to score that even Aguero wasn't at because like even like Guardiola would look at City's team sometimes and go, you know what, I'm not playing Sergio Aguero today for tactical reasons. And he looks at City's squad currently and goes, I have to do whatever I can to get Haaland into the team and make sure that that he's he's there and is an option. And it kind of suggests like maybe the maybe one of the reasons that that he's not been firing in the last few weeks is that City are just working through through some things. They're working out how to try and how, how to approach this season with their with their new setup. 
I think as well, um, other teams are fully aware of Erling Haaland's capabilities. They've had a full season, haven't they, to see where he likes to move, you know, how he likes to receive the ball, where he likes to run on to 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 get the ball, and how he is how City play to him. So I think that's something that that can't be discredited in terms of how um, you know how other teams are are playing against City and in particular against Erling Haaland. I think it, that's something that is is down to to City now to go right. Well, I, I'm reluctant to to use this phrase, which means I'm going to say it anyway. I say you don't have um, to do it. You could, you could, there's plenty no, of other words. No, no, I'll say it and you'll understand what I mean. Like I don't, I don't want to say that Harlan's been found out because he he hasn't clearly. He's he's a he's a freak. Um, and he can score at any moment sort of thing. But teams are, are, are getting to know how to effectively play against him better than last season. I think that's probably where we're at with it. Um, yeah. Like we saw, we saw, for example, Arsenal, um, Rice was, was pretty much everywhere. And then Saliba and Gabriel, who were very much formed like a triangle, if you like, in, in that midfield for Arsenal, which made it very, very difficult for for Haaland to find any space. Um, yeah. And that's that's what City have got to overcome and, and that's how they get the best out of Erling Haaland is make space for him. Yeah, Haaland found out, Sam Roscoe says. You heard it here No, first. no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's finish the first part of the show with a, a little look at the bigger picture. Um, Richard, it's the first back-to-back defeats for City since uh, the 2018-19 season. That, that was actually, that run was actually three defeats in four. Um, so you know, good luck for the uh, for the remaining fixtures for this uh, for this period. Um, those two defeats, though, were without Fernandinho, as, as dubbed at the time, one of City's most important players. And it, it suddenly struck me that, like, it, it just goes to show just how vulnerable City are. Whether it's you know this incarnation of Guardiola City or any previous incarnation of them, you take that anchor point out and suddenly it becomes a hell of a lot easier to to play against city and the encouragement that i took from those the, from that sort of comparison without fernandinho is is you know gundogan played deeper in those couple of games and we all went well this isn't going to work and then at the end of that season fernandinho was injured gundogan played there and city won every game it's almost like they need that kick up the backside to go well okay you now need to find a solution if this is the case and i'm not saying for one second that if rodri gets injured for the end of the season city will be fine but it's almost like you need that sharp kind of um, moment to just suggest, actually, we need to think of some ways to deal with this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, like, it is interesting that, like, the similarities in those runs and, um, you know, losing players of Fernandinho and, and Rodri's up. Like, it, it is an interesting comparison. But I also think, like... Oh, I'm, I'm struggling with how I want to phrase this, which again is great when um, I'm here to talk, isn't it? Um, like over a season, every single team will face a similar kind of challenge. And it might not be losing a player in the same position um, as, as City have done. But like over a season, players miss games and teams have to adapt. And I think sometimes like it strikes me that that comparison could also be like a bit false just because a central defensive midfielder is 
is always going to be a really important position. And it does, it does of, depend on how you play, though, doesn't it? Uh, it does. I'm struggling to think of a time in very recent history where that wouldn't be true of most top level teams, though. They might not always be your best player, but it's. I do think it's a very, very, um, I think it's quite a specialised position and I think it is a crucial position. But even so, most teams at some point have to play a game without their best player. Like even if that's just on a pure rotation basis. And part of how you get through a season is overcoming those challenges. And I don't think you can always, like it's, it's, it's great to say things like you have to have a plan B or you have to be ready for when that happens. But you would never voluntarily put yourself in a position where you're without your most important players. Yeah, and, that's, and so I, I guess that's the the issue as well with the idea of a Rodri backup because you yeah. can't you can't just go out and sign the second best holding midfielder in the world and expect them to sit there <laughs> and wait for Rodri to not be in the team. Exactly, and and that speaks. That's why we've got the... Calvin Phillips, isn't it? Isn't he the second <laughs> greatest defensive midfielder in the world? And and then all of a sudden now he's not. That's your quote, li- not mine. We will literally <laughs> never know because we never see any evidence of how he can play football. Um, the like, Ultimately, you're never going to deprive yourself of your best player voluntarily. Certainly not for a game of like the magnitude that we've just played. And and so the idea of like having a plan B, like you're not, you're always working stuff out sort of on the fly in these kind of situations. And we just so happened to have a manager who is one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world at doing that. And so, I don't know. Um, I've done it, my thing of, of it's, almost it's, forgetting your question. It's, it's all right. It's hard after a defeat though, isn't it? Because you, you can't look at it in the in the framework of anything but, oh, we've just been beaten in this way. And ultimately, you know, Guardiola's plan for the Arsenal game, if the ball doesn't smash off Nathan Ake's face, we come away from it saying it's been a good a good result. So Exactly. Nobody comes away thinking, like after, if they draw that game nil-nil, nobody comes away thinking he should have done something different in defensive midfield, do they? Yeah. And yeah. Thank yeah. you for succinctly, uh, as ever, David, succinctly rounding up my point. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Sam, final question for the first part of the show. Um, given that uh, I, you know, City are now in this position of having lost back-to-back games, um, there's, they're not necessarily under pressure, but I, I then look at the fixture list and, my word, Brighton at home, Young Boys away, United away, Bournemouth at home, Young Boys at home, Chelsea away, and then an international break, then Liverpool at home, Leipzig at home, Spurs at home, and Villa away way what do you reckon i'm going to give you a big quote that you can use everywhere now all right but uh the next that run of fixtures that you say season defining absolutely season defining they have to bounce back because that's what they need to do obviously three premier league defeats they have to bounce back i don't think the international break has come at a great time um, but on the contrary, I think it's being... come at a brilliant time, you know. No, no, I disagree. Let, I think no, the players let, let them stew on it. Let them stew on it for the last for the for the for the fortnight, and then come back <sighs> raring to fair, go. Fair, fair. I think the players will just wanted to get back into the next game as soon as possible, and and get back into that winning groove. They've got some massive games coming up. It's season defining in the sense that if things don't, if, if things continue the way they've been going, which is dreadful, uh, then. Um, it's not going to be great for the, the the season as a whole. However, if they go on a run and put several wins together, it's going to be 
the confidence is going to be flowing and we're going to see the return of the, the City juggernaut in some huge games, starting with Brighton at home, which is a is a real sobering match after three Premier League defeats and an international break to, to get back into the swing of things. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, credit to you. If you're still with us um, uh, through all the uh, depressing Arsenal talk, then uh, credit to you because we're now going to finish the show with some fun. So, away from England over the weekend, you might have seen that AC Milan went top of Serie A in Italy with a 1-0 win over Genoa. But the story of that game was that they finished with striker Olivier Giroud in goal. In our usual way of making this all about City, that's the tenuous link we've got for making Sam here look at some of the times when City goalkeepers weren't where you'd expect them to be. Everyone loves an outfield player going in goal, and there have been a number of them down the years for Manchester City. Defender Mike Doyle once had to deputise for Keith McRae at Leicester after the goalkeeper was injured inside 10 minutes in 1975. Meanwhile, Nigel Gleghorn swapped with Andy Dibble twice, first after injury at Walsall in 1989, and then again at home to Crystal Palace a couple of months later. All three of those games happened when teams were allowed to name one substitute, but it was never a goalkeeper that was on the bench. Back in 1964 though, there were no subs at all. One of the most uh, famous stories is uh, Harry Dowd, the one of the City goalkeepers in the 60s. Um, City were playing against Berry. it was actually Colin Bell's debut for Berry, um, and he scored to, to put Berry in front. Um, and then later in the game, Harry Dowd, the City goalkeeper, broke his thumb, I think it was, and ended up, like at the time, there's no substitute, so he ended up having to play outfield, and uh, the forward Matt Gray went in goal to replace him. That's the podcast's David Mooney, speaking with the help of research by Gary James. He explains what happened next. Harry Dowd went on to score City's equaliser in the game. Um, he said afterwards that he got the chance to, to try and slip a ball through to Derek Kevin. Um, he hit the bar and Dowd just described it as going lunging in to try and uh, get to the ball first and he, uh, he managed to score the equaliser. Perhaps the most famous outfielder in goal moment for City though happened in 1991. Goalkeeper Tony Colton was sent off giving away a penalty and Niall Quinn put the gloves on instead. I played in goal from 9 to 12 for the under-12s up to under-14s at, at Manor Town. And I played Gaelic football as well, so I could I could catch the ball. I was a midfielder in Gaelic football. And when I went to England as a striker, I used to always look at the goalkeepers and go, I should have stuck at goalkeeper. They don't, they don't do any of the running. When we do all the running up the hills in those days and up the terraces, the goalkeepers are doing diving and they're doing crossing and they're doing all these different things. They didn't have to run. I was going, they're playing till they're 40, you know, and I'm in my stick with being a goalkeeper. So I always had this bit of a grow for being a goalkeeper. That's Quinn speaking to broadcaster Doug Gordon's YouTube channel. I'd scored and, and Tony Colton got himself sent off. We didn't have a, a goalkeeper on the bench. And I said, oh, that's it, this is made for me, you know. And as Dean Saunders was putting the ball on the spot to take the penalty, I can remember Adrian Heath saying to him, he'll say this, he does this all the time. Because I used to practice penalties in goal as a goalkeeper. Mm. So I'd, I'd offer, I used to try and make a few quid, I'd offer players, score three against me, out of three, mm. or a fiver. And I won more often than not, because someone on the third one would get wobbly and put it over the bar, or, you know, it, it did it with the Irish team more so than, than, than the Man City team. Quinn did save the penalty, and City won 2-1, with the standing goalkeeper looking comfortable between the sticks. What I'm more proud of, and it's not on YouTube, and I'd love to know what was out there, was I came for the cross and knocked over Mick Harford, 
and uh, Mark Wright, who was the, you know Mark Wright, big centre half. And I knocked the two of them over and caught them. And I, I, I got I got got into the moment and I started fizzing the ball out with spin on it when I was throwing. I was going, this is great. And afterwards, I, I thought about it and thought, geez, that was my my mentality was never to get nervous about that. I think I couldn't do it. It was to hey, I was born to do this. And then there are times when you think afterwards. Jeez, did I get away with that? Like, you know, how, how did that work? But as the Premier League era began, outfielders in goal became less frequent. Teams were soon able to name three, then five, then seven, and now nine subs, with City often having two goalkeepers in reserve. It now takes a specific set of circumstances, like when Edison went off injured, and then Claudio Bravo was sent off at Atalanta in 2019. Kyle Walker went in goal for the closing stages that night and spoke to BT Sport about it afterwards. I try and sometimes banter the keepers in training, telling them to catch it and stuff, but as I found tonight, sometimes you do have to take two touches. You made one very important save. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's all jokes aside, we came here to get, you know, a, a, a point or a victory. We know it was going to be difficult because they play man-to-man, they, they're a good team and they're in the Champions League for a reason, so it's come away from here with, you know, how we ended the game with a draw is it's a good point and, you know, we'll take that on now. Very, very occasionally, the opposite happens too. We heard earlier about Harry Dowd's exploits outfield, there have been a couple other examples more recently. There was the League Cup tie in 1995, when Martin Margitson replaced Richard Edgehill outfield for a final few minutes after Alan Ball had used his other two subs. It wasn't a very notable occasion. However, the next one goes down in city folklore. Chappie at half-time went to me, got your kit print. I'm like, what do you mean? And he went, you know, you might be going up front or go, no, going on outfield. And I was like, whatever, and, and dismissed it straight away. That's David James. He started in goal against Middlesbrough on the final day in 2005, but that's not where he finished. City needed to win to leapfrog Borough in the UEFA Cup places, and chasing a goal, manager Stuart Pearce made a unique tactical move. James, alongside substitute goalkeeper Nicky Weaver, explains what happened. Sat on the bench, Tim Flowers went, just about 10 minutes left, went, go and get warmed up. You're going on in a minute, and I'm. Weaves, you! I'm thinking he can't just be putting me on for like five minutes to say like, you know, thanks for coming sort of thing. The board goes up. I hadn't even seen Nicky getting warmed up. I was so in the game that I hadn't seen him getting warmed up. And uh, when I looked over and I saw him stood there, I was thinking, hang on a minute. And then I saw the kit man, Chappie, pull out an outfield shirt with number one James on it. So I'm thinking, ah. And I sort of ran towards it and then I could see my shirt. That's why obviously I derobed and uh, put the outfield shirt on. Claudio Reyna come off and I have gone on. So it was weird because Jamo was ran over. So everyone looked like he was coming off. It, it wasn't just for like two minutes. It was probably, by the time injury time was, it was probably the best part of 10 minutes. I literally had no one telling me what to do. So I thought I'll just sort of go up there and try and win headers. Jamo was terrible, wasn't it? But it caused a bit of havoc and we got the penalty, didn't we? Surreal is probably an understatement because as I say, I. I wasn't an outfield player. I mean, I could score goals in training, granted, but had the manager at some point said, Jamo, you might be going out front tomorrow, I would have done some, uh, a little bit of practice. I, re I reckon I would have stayed out for an extra hour, working on my touch, working on my passing, working on all the things that let me down on the, on the day. City didn't get the goal they needed and it finished one all, meaning Middlesbrough qualified for Europe. Looking back, some might say that's a good thing in hindsight. 
Otherwise, we might be sitting here today discussing what a tactical masterstroke it was for Pierce to send his goalkeeper up front. Hi, I'm David James and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. That was Sam taking a look at the times when City goalkeepers have been not in their usual place. Uh, Sam, the, the David James story is obviously the maddest one. Do um, you reckon we'll see anything like that again? Ortega in goal, Edison outfield, you know? I think the real question is, and the obvious answer to that, Real question is, do we want to see it happen again? I mean, and the answer is yes. absolutely <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who wouldn't love to see Edison play up front? Quite uh, a won't even let him take penalties, though. That's that is, that is such a spoil sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the frustrating thing is, Allison scored, didn't he, not too long ago for Liverpool, uh, which was a pretty big goal for them. We need to see this happen with Edison. Make it happen, Pep. Yeah. Edison could probably do it though just by punting the ball the length of the pitch so it's, I, I honestly think he should shoot more often um, Richard do you, what do you remember about the moment you realised that David James was coming outfield well like first of all being wrapped up in the return of Nicky Weaver like that was it, it was a surprise to see a change of goalkeeper but I remember seeing um well, from, from my recollection, I would have seen Weaver coming on. And then there's the moment of, hmm, it's not David James that's going on. <laughs> and just being what utterly confused yeah. until you see that James has put on the outfield shirt. And then like that dawning realisation of this is a, this is a tactic. <laughs> like, we're, And I think probably like, do have the sense that you're seeing something like almost historical like it's not something that happens very often it's it's unique in Premier League terms I think so yeah um I think just the surprise of it all and then there is the like the excitement of god what if he scores like if this works <laughs> then this is gonna be it was never proper. gonna work was it <laughs> but, see, but, but but James was a I, James being in there is a big part of why City won a penalty though, wasn't it? If, if Fowler had You could scored, put anybody if, at the back post there and they'd have won a penalty. <laughs> uh, I I think there's a lot to be said for um, the chaos of James being up there that contributes to that. If Fowler had scored that penalty, we would look back on it as a successful substitution. Hmm. 
I mm, I don't know. Bold. Yeah. I thought I was the one doing bold claims on the show today. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, you're the one who called Harland a fraud and said he's finished. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, just quickly, we say uh, for the Kyle Walker one where he went in goal against Atalanta, um, we say that Walker kept a clean sheet. Can we honestly say that? He played, what, eight minutes? Like, How long do you have to play to say that you've, you've kept a clean sheet? And is that time less when you are an outfield player? Um, I think in Kyle Walker's case, eight minutes is enough to say he gets a clean sheet, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I'd imagine the opposition were like, right, shoot on sight. Uh, so that's, yeah, he kept can, a clean sheet for me. Can I propose a formula? Yeah. A very simple one. Am I right in thinking that Bravo played four minutes? Uh, no, he, he conceded after four minutes. Um, oh. So Edison played 45 and didn't concede. Bravo played uh, until the 81st well, minute when he was sent off, but conceded after four minutes of coming on of, the pitch. Right, but the, okay, the formula still works. If you play more minutes than it took um, a supposed goalkeeper to concede a goal, if you play more minutes and keep a clean sheet, then, I mean, double the minutes. Bravo conceded a goal in half the time it took Walker to keep a clean sheet. Then that counts as a clean sheet, surely. Fine. Okay, we'll uh, we'll go with that. I uh, I look forward to seeing it. We ne- we never see it that often because City normally have two keepers on the bench. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I look forward to to putting your formula into action the next time we get a chance. Um, it's been announced this week that the UK and Ireland will be hosting Euro 2028, and that the Etihad will be one of the venues used for the tournament as well. That also got us thinking about previous international matches that have been held there. Having done a little bit of research, we've been able to find six. Here they are. First international games at the Etihad were held less than a year after City had moved there. The FA hosted a friendly tournament in late May and early June 2004, and all three matches included a City connection. Japan faced two City goalkeepers in those first two games. Arnie Arison played for Iceland in their 3-2 defeat in the opening game, while David James played for England in a one-all draw two days later. Here's the commentary of the Japanese equaliser from TV coverage over there. That game was also the first time that Sven-Goran Eriksson managed in the City of Manchester Stadium's home dugout. It would have been nice if David James had played in the next game a 6-1 win over Iceland, because that would have meant two City goalkeepers were in opposite ends of an international game played on City's ground. But that wasn't to be. Instead, future City players Frank Lampard, Darius Vassell and Wayne Bridge all scored their first goals at that stadium. It was far from comfortable in England's next match at the City of Manchester Stadium. This was in the Women's Euros in 2005, where they beat Finland 3-2. Finland came from 2-0 down to equalise in the 88th minute, before Karen Carney scored a stoppage time winner for the Lionesses. That was in front of more than 29,000 people, which was a record attendance for England women at the time. 
It's more than a decade until we can find a record of another international match at the Etihad, and it will turn out to be Joe Hart's penultimate appearance at the ground as a home player as England beat Turkey 2-1. Ismail crosses on oh, a great save by Hart to stop. What a good save this is, his feet are going one way. That was in May 2016. Guardiola arrived at City that summer and Hart would make one appearance under the new manager, a 1-0 win at the Etihad over Stour Bucharest. There were City players involved again when Argentina faced Italy in an international friendly in March 2018. He was having a great season domestically and Nicolas Otamendi played a big part in helping former City goalkeeper Willy Caballero keep a clean sheet in a 2-0 win for the South American side. That was five years ago and Euro 2028 is still five years away, so it'll be interesting to see what City connections could be playing at the Etihad as part of that tournament. Um, you listen to the Blue Moon Podcast. 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 I am... You I'm want Dennis, me to say I'm yeah, Dennis Law? I'm and Dennis I, Law. And, listening to the Blue Moon podcast. Okay, all right. I'm Dennis Law, and you listen to the Blue Man. <laughs> Hang on, do it again. again. Okay, I'm Dennis Law, and we listen to the Blue Moon podcast. Enjoy it. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was a look at the uh, international matches played at the Etihad. Some, uh, obviously, some nice tidbits from uh, from there about Sven managing in the uh, home dugout first as the as the England manager. Uh, Lampard <laughs> scoring for England, then Chelsea, then City. Uh, Vassell never scored for Aston Villa there, but he scored for England and then City. Uh, Wayne Bridge only ever scored there for England. So uh, um, interesting. I, I also wanted to mention that uh, the last City manager to make an appearance at Main Road. Uh, was Roberto Mancini because he played for Italy's under-21s there in the uh, under-21 Euros in 1984. Um, I was going to do a bigger feature on internationals at Main Road until I realised that the uh, records are very sketchy. So it's really hard <laughs> to, uh, to to go back and get some firm details. Uh, so I made it the, the, the stadium that's been open 20 years. Um, let's finish this week with some listener questions. Get in touch at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Um, I put a call out for things to do on a feature on this week, given that it's the international break. And Mark Simmons suggested that we did something on abandoned matches. And just like the main road thing, uh, I was going to until I couldn't find any audio from many of the games. There's a complete record in Gary James's book, Manchester City, The Complete Record. Um, and there are some interesting ones around that. Uh, Richard, the one that, st- that immediately stands out for me for abandoned games is the League Cup tie with Ipswich in 2000, 2001. That was just rained off because of a deluge. Yeah, I um, I recall it being. I feel like I've said this recently, maybe on the Patreon uh, special. I recall the rain being so bad that when we got to Main Road, my sister took off her shoes and physically emptied them of water, <laughs> like literally poured them out, like you know, like like you might a mug or something. Um, that was some of the worst weather I ever recall having the misfortune of being outside in um, and hate the fact that it was uh, called off shortly after City scored, which I would have been, what, 12, around 12 at the time and was fully convinced it was a, a conspiracy. Um, that The agenda never sleeps. Yeah. No, no. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily believe that now, but at the time I was fully, fully uh, in on George Burley's convinced the referee to call that off now we've equalised. Yeah. Shall we, uh, <laughs> we hear Nicky Weaver's memories? Because he played in that game. I just remember in the warm-up, the rain was coming down, the pitch was getting worse, the referee came out to have a look. You know, it was touch and go, I think, whether the game was actually going to go ahead, but it did. Um, went 1-0 down quite early on, um, and then we equalised. And not long after equalising, the game was... Um, called off and to be fair as a goalkeeper it's really awkward and horrible position and conditions to play in so um, so I, I wasn't too disappointed when it was called off but we ended up losing the replay anyway so we would have probably been better off uh, carrying on but uh, the referee made a decision and, and the pitch was pretty much unplayable I think at that point the ball was starting to get stuck it wasn't really bouncing players were you know trying to dribble with the ball and the ball was standing still in the, in the wood so it did become unplayable this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. The uh, the replay was when Kevin Owlock got kicked in the head and didn't get a penalty, and there was like Terry Butcher blood, uh, Terry Butcher s blood all, all down his shirt. Um, so yeah, uh, the the other the other one that stands out, Sam, is. Um, the Manchester Derby in, in 1974, Dennis Law's back heel goal at Old Trafford uh, caused a pitch invasion in the final few minutes. The referee abandoned the game, but the result was allowed to stand. And the reason why it stands out for me uh, in particular is because you asked him about it, didn't you? <laughs> and Dennis has done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a, a fun afternoon, um, you know, getting to speak to one of football's all-time greats. Um, obviously, a huge, huge presence in, in Manchester football, not just for his time at, at Manchester United, but also his, his time at City, thanks to that that moment. Um, he was having absolutely none of it when no, I asked him about it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've clipped it up. Here it is. That week, the build-up to that derby, just tell me, how were you feeling? I can't remember it. I can't remember it, no. Isn't that strange? Of all the games that I can't remember, that was one in, uh, that week. You realise I'm not answering your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame to be honest. <laughs> Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. There we go. Wouldn't answer that question at all, would he? Um, no, he's, he's, he's clearly been uh, clearly asked about that a million times, hadn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, final one to shout out as well. Another one involving uh, Dennis Law. Uh, Luton away in 60-61 uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, he scored all six in the FA Cup tie at Luton. Uh, 21 minutes to go. Heavy rain meant the referee abandoned the game with City leading 6-2. It was replayed four days later and they lost 3-1. Um, so there we go. A um, couple of other questions to squeeze in. Uh, Guillermo Galapagos on Twitter says, given the reactions to the defeats this week, what's your lowest moment as a City fan? Um Obviously, I, I said we were having some fun for this final part, so try and try try and kind of keep the mood up, Richard. I mean, I don't know how to with that question. <laughs> um, easy reference point: only one uh, one game I have ever cried at was the defeat at Ipswich that relegated us. Um, in modern times, the uh, that would have been in what two two thousand and two. 2001, yeah. whatever, uh, relegation from the Premier League when I was 10. Um, modern times would be the Spurs Champions League defeat for very obvious reasons, mm-hmm. the nature of the defeat. However, to put a positive spin on it, um, going into stoppage time against QPR in 2012 was extremely low. And obviously that all turned out quite well. So lowest point to very quick high, would uh, that, that QPR game would have, would have been the lowest ever and, and yeah. we rescued it. And if you to add, Sam, you got any uh, terrible well, well- 
if Richard would save me any, then uh, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, the lowest that I've ever felt during a, a City game has got to be that QPR moment. Like, just uh, unbelievable pain. But like Richard said, it all worked out quite well in the end. And I think it, it wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for that moment. You know, the the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, something that only that moment could have, have given us. Um, equally, uh, another low moment as a City fan, trying to get a taxi back into Istanbul after the Champions League <laughs> final win, to be honest, that was pretty low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, finally for this week, Matt Holland on Twitter says, do you have a favourite entrance music for the players walking out at City? Um, I I only have one that I, that I like this, this song still lives rent-free in my head. Um, and it's one that I always, if you were to ask me to imagine City running out, that's what I hear. So I'll save that in a second. Richard, anything, uh, any particular song that stands out? We've, we might have the same thing here. I was going to say, um, I think we've all got the same, to be honest with you. I suppose I have two. Like, the two for me are... Did you want to say them, David, seeing as you volunteered? I, I don't think I don't think ours is the same one, you know. Really? Yeah. Okay. For, right, well, for me, there's equal are Brain Bug mm-hmm. and Right Here, Right Now. I okay, did so initially... brain, brain Bug was mine, yeah. <laughs> brain Bug was mine as well. <laughs> I, I did initially take this question as what would be your... Um, like ideal entrance music for City. Uh, well, for for a long time, my ideal entrance music for City would have been sending the clowns, but um, <laughs> obviously not, not very appropriate these days. <laughs> um, I always remember Brainbug, like Main Road, it yeah. being a really cold midweek night, dark, mm. under the lights. Uh, that's what I always associate with that tune. But then equally, um, I always remember after the game, they used to play Roll With It. And that's another mm. like it, city it, association that yeah. I have of main road and the smell of like hot you know smell of chips the the blue moon chippy and stuff like that. Is, Was it not is, roll with it when they'd won, but uh, Wonderwall when they lost? I, I always, I always, I always remember being in Main Road, thinking, "Ah, oh, they've lost again." And it's the opening, <laughs> like the, the opening of Wonderwall, always takes me back to feeling like that. And I, so I just I just associate Wonderwall with City having lost, and that's what they played at Main Road. I might I remember. Um, I remember the. Uh, I think it was the FA Cup win in 2011, and I think it was primarily because of um, Zabaleta in the week before was talking about like his music taste. But um, mm. they played uh, "Rocking All Over the World," yeah, yeah, and that's one that I think is underrated, especially when you've won when you've won something. Yeah, City's won three in a row, Sam. Exactly. (laughs) Soon to be four, hopefully. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll find out later on in the season. But for now, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And thanks also to my guests for this one, Sam Roscoe. Cheers, mate. And Richard Burns. Thank you very much. Join us next week when we'll preview the games with Brighton and Young Boys. And we'll also hear from the former City defender, Steve Howie. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I have told you I've been on the pitch there before because when I ran on, I um, I playfully smacked Moonchester on the back of the head because <laughs> you're running past a seven-foot novelty big blue alien. I just wanted to, I thought it would, right, so I thought it'd be a big foam head. 
He's actually very hollow. <laughs> so he's got. He's. I think it was like. I mean, I don't know. Maybe nowadays with City's increased resources, we've got a better Moonchester costume. But at the time, it was quite sort of hollow Frank Sidebottom kind of vibe to it. But yeah, um, just a, just a great night. A Wait, horrible so, game. So was yes, it so hard? Well. Was it hard? Because like, like it, it looked foam to me. So I, I like, I'm thinking when you hit it, like it would squash in. But did it not? Precisely. I I hit because I thought it was like hitting a big like funny cushion. But then of course. Because you hit, so I hit, yeah, it was, it was like hollow. I thought, I thought I thought that was going to be a cushion. But then you think about it, as if you're going to put a bloke's head in like a massive sort of one metre wide cushion. That's, of course it was hollow, basically. But yeah, yeah that, that was, it was, it was a night of discovery for me. And um, yeah, what, what a good day out. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.